Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, we are we're on the slow road through um, Romans chapter 8. Um, hopefully we'll get another verse done today. Uh, just really kind of digging in. There's, this is a really rich section of the book. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that uh, kind of connects with other things. Um, and uh, uh, using the Psalms of Ascent for our opening prayer, um, what I've been doing, you know, feel free to you know do what you like. But uh, if, if you're interested or if you would like to you know to do this, um, I've been reading the uh, the Psalm all through the week. So uh, actually, starting with like my Monday devotions, I was doing Psalm 124. And I read it every day this week, you know, as, as part of my devotion. And then, um, then I do the uh, uh, the verse of the week, um, which is this is next week's verse. But uh, just kind of, you know, allowing those things to rattle around in my head and, and uh, letting them kind of lead me and guide me. So, so opening prayer, Psalm one twenty four. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Uh, I was thinking about... I'm sorry? Oh, I, I thought somebody said something. Um, I was thinking about last week and all the stuff about creation and being connected to creation. And uh, I really was <coughs> pondering this thought about how important is it to see ourselves as creatures you know it, it really seems to me that uh, that this really gets to the heart and the core of a lot of our, our problems in our relationship with God and uh, our relationship to our fellow creatures um, when I took confirmation class uh, we you know we had to memorize the catechism all that good stuff um, but we have we had a slightly different translation, I've come to learn, than what a lot of other people uh, grew up with. Um, so when I learned the, uh, the, the second article of the Apostles' Creed, uh, the explanation says, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father uh, from eternity, and also true man, begotten of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me a lost and condemned creature. person. But I learned it creature. <clears throat> Um, and uh, I, I found that really interesting. I mean, since, you know, studying years later, I, I've spent a lot of time with the catechism. Um, in the original language, you got to understand um, the catechism in the, a lot of the Book of Concord were written in German and Latin. You know, and so we compare these when we think about how, would we, how do we want to bring these into English. But the Latin is the word homo, which means man. And, you know, homo sapiens, right? Um, and then uh, the German was the word menschen. You know, you ever heard somebody say, you're a real mensch? You know, it's a man. You know, and, and so 
the idea of a lost and condemned person is probably the better translation, actually. Is that how you learned it? No, it just, I think it's good because it includes females. If you're just saying it's males... Oh, yeah, but that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. You know, it's, it's humanity versus being a creature. That's the comparison that needs to be made here. Because there's never been a, uh, you know, lost and condemned women line. You know, because, you know, well... Obviously, the women are height of the creation. Um, anyhow, um, glad you recognized that. I, I, I learned this lost and condemned creature, and it strikes me how that, that that's a really important idea that we are created. Um, this culturally is really important because if we're created, we're not accidents. Yeah. Something that's created is it's done intentionally. You know, and that is one of the, the messages that is, it's at least hidden in the way that we think about beginnings, uh, you know, of the universe and stuff like that. That this is all, all accident. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and, you know, I know that there are people who they, they look at the current scientific theories and, and they see God's hand in that. I'm not, I'm not arguing uh, about that. But hidden in that, there is a sense you know, if, if you take God out of it, then all of this is just an accident. And if you're an accident, well... Then who cares? Exactly. Yeah. You know, eat, drink, because tomorrow you die, right? Um, Don't forget anything. And, and uh, you may or not may get the chance. True. You know, not everybody gets the chance to be merry in this world. And why would that matter, you know, if you're not created? Um, and then, you know, if we're a creature, there's an intention in our lives. And we know from the rest of the, the scriptures that if we're a creature, that means our creator loves us. And, and, and I, I, I think that that's some pretty important foundational parts of our lives. And I already said, that, you know, the other part of this is, you know, if we're a creature, then you're dealing with a creator. And it ain't you. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I was thinking about that temptation in Genesis chapter 3. You know, the serpent says to Eve, you know, no, you will not die. But when you eat it, you will become like God. You know, and, um, you know, how much of our lives is, you know, that we're like God. You know, we make our decisions, we plot our courses, you know, we bend the world to our, you know, our will. Um, but if you're a creature and you're connected to a creator, then you know you ain't God. You know, and, and you live in him and, and under him. You know, so, I mean, those are just some things I was kind of pondering after uh, after last week and I don't know <coughs> maybe valuable maybe not um, so we are all the way to uh, verse 23 um, I would like for somebody to read 22 through 25 for us uh, it's right there at the top of the uh, well actually it might not be at the top of your page is it yes okay. Romans, 22 to 24. Yeah. yeah Romans 8 22 through it should be 22 through 25 but yeah. Okay. That's what's printed there. You're going to read that first, Steve? Yeah, I can do it. Thanks. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay. So verse 23, I, I translated it, it. It literally starts out something along the lines of, and not only that, <laughs> which you know is kind of a little bit, uh, um, you know, if you just pick up that verse, uh, not only what, um, you know, so it's important to read things in context. Um, and the context would tell you, you know, and not only the creation, you know, is doing this groaning and, and, and all of this, but we ourselves, having the, uh, the first fruits of the Spirit, we also ourselves groan in ourselves, eagerly awaiting adoption, the redemption of our body. Um, I love how uh, emphatic this is, the ourselves, ourselves, ourselves. You know, it's, it's really, you know, Paul is really kind of driving home this thought that this isn't something for the, just the creation, that the creation longs for something better than the existence than it has because it's been subjected to us and subjected to our sin. Uh, but we long for this too. I talked about this a little bit last week that, you know, we're, we're connected to the creation because we ourselves are creatures. But I also think that there's a sense of awe here. You know, this salvation isn't just for what God made, you know, which was subjected to futility because of us. It's for us, the ones who messed everything up. Um, I, in one commentary that I was reading, um, it says this is so emphatic that some refer to it as awkward repetition. <laughs> you know, it's just that constant you know, beating the drum and, and really hitting that point over and over again. Um, there are a, a lot of commonalities between the creation and ourselves as creatures. And, and we spent some time talking about that last week. Um, we spent the whole session really talking about that last week. Um, but now Paul is, is he's making a distinction between creation in general and us as Christians. That as Christians, we have received the promise that's going to bring salvation to not just ourselves, but to the, the creation itself. And so we both groan. But it's, it's the created human who has faith in Jesus who has the first fruits. And so, what do you think Paul means by first fruits of the Spirit? Oh, and you do first fruits, you're giving us an offering to God. Okay. So is this the return for, to us, the first fruits of the Spirit coming back to us? For okay. Our, our acceptance of Christ and uh, his sacrifice. Okay. Other thoughts? Is that uh, something related to the redemption? It is. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, 
we, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit uh, from, uh, from Galatians chapter 5. Um, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think you got all of them, didn't you? Good job. Good job. You're brilliant. She is. She is. You're very blessed to have her. I, I tell her, you know, beautiful and brilliant, and I'm in trouble. And uh, It's okay. Yeah, no, it's quite good, actually. Um, you know, so when we think about the fruits of the Spirit, you know, and, and this sense of a first fruits of the Spirit, I, I think that what, what Paul is talking about here is that God is doing something in us, and it's related to this redemption, that this redemption is going to change who we are or who we have been in the hour. Um, in the context of Romans, I think there are a couple of spots that might be important to think about when we think about the first fruits of the Spirit. Romans chapter 6. All of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. That we might walk in newness of life. So there's a resurrection motif there. You know, when we start talking about the first fruits of the Spirit, that there is already a life that we are living in Christ, a new life. And that while we have not attained the resurrection yet, that life is already at work in us now. You know, so um, if you ever uh, come to a funeral that I, I'm preaching at, uh, one of the, uh, the lines that often comes up is I will talk about the person in the past tense because they died. And then I'll pause on that and say in the present tense because they're still alive. You know, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If someone believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. Right? And that, there's that sense that we are still alive. And we're going to get to a passage in Romans yet uh, that says whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. That idea that you know, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. A friend of yours said that. Which particular friend? Jesus. Yes. Yes. He is a very particular friend. Yes. Um, another thought in terms of you know, how Romans might help us to think about of what Paul is talking about here in the first fruits of the Spirit is uh, all the way back in chapter 1, uh, that key passage, verses 16 and 17, where I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. You know, this idea that this first fruit is the good news of Jesus redeeming us from sin and from death, that he has given us salvation you know that that's that's a that's a big idea you know that we were trapped we were dead in our trespasses and sins and now we are alive um that maybe to use some exodus type of language or jesus type of language we were slaves to sin and we've been saved from slavery we've been set free um and in that gift of righteousness that's, that's a really big concept throughout the book of, uh, of Romans. That it, there's, this, there's this righteousness, this uh, right relationship with God, this holiness, and all of the, the things that that entails that comes from the outside. It's not something that you know, we work hard to gin up. It's declared to us and given to us. It's, you know, 
It's like when I was a kid and the umpire called the person out or safe. It's just the last word. There was no video review, right? And, and you know, part of me often feels like if, you know, God had done video review on my life, he'd be like, yeah, no. <laughs> but he's made the declaration. You're okay, go. <laughs> and the declaration for all of us is forgiven. You are righteous for Christ's sake. Um, and I think that that's all, all part of this, this, um, this baggage, that good baggage, that's connected to this idea of the first fruits of the Spirit. And these things are delivered to you uh, in, in the Word and the sacraments. That this is what God is, you know, when, when you think about the first fruits of the Spirit, how do I get it? How do I, how do I get what you're giving God? And it's in the Word and in, in the sacraments that, that He has promised to be there and to give his, his gifts. You know, and so um, in the Lutheran Confessions, uh, one of the great lines that I like to come back to is, you know, where the word and sacrament are, there is the church. And so what we're doing here on a Sunday is an expression of the first fruits of the Spirit, of this new life that's at work, delivering Christ's life into us. And as we experience that life that he is giving to us in this world, we groan. We groan in ourselves. Is it kind of because we sort of fight it? Our sinful nature still kind of fights it? I think that there's room for that. There's, so we've got that conflict going on and mm -hmm. in ourselves. So that's Romans 7, right? Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, the good I would, I don't. That which I hate, exactly. that's what I do. Right. Exactly. So there's, I think there's an element of that, yeah. for sure. And then you groan because you're like, ah, did it again. Okay. Yeah. So, so that is an element of it. Yeah. But, but why else might we groan? For all the time we wasted beforehand. Okay. I just often think if everybody would do what the Ten Commandments say, with the gospel, this world would be spinning and singing, mm -hmm. and I am unhappy about it. Okay, there is a there is an element of dissatisfaction with life in this world, but I think that there's a positive spin on this as well. I wish Christmas would get here. The anticipation. <laughs> You remember that from when you were a kid? Mm -hmm. Or, I can't wait until my cousins get here. And you're frustrated because the time hasn't come yet. You sit by the window watching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, some of that flows from those negative type of groaning that, that have been mentioned here. Because you're, you're, you're waiting for something better to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Summer's been so boring, I can't wait for my cousins to get here. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, but there, there is also this, this element of something good is coming and I can't wait for it to, to happen. That's going to break me out of this. Um, and, and so you know, we have received, we've received a great promise. We've received forgiveness of sins. We've, we, we've received resurrection. We, we've received reconciliation with God. And, and all of these things, but we haven't received the final gift. 
we still live in the flesh. And oh, for that day of the resurrection, when this flesh is done and new uncorrupted flesh is given to us. Stuff comes to me about physical pain. I mean, we won't have that later, which I groan sometimes mm -hmm. when I get up and I've got an ache here or an ache there. And yeah, it's definitely a physical pain too. Yeah. It, it, almost, it almost feels like this is deliberate imagery of childbirth. It is. Born again. Well, it is. I mean, the, the, the verse just before, you know, as pangs as in of childbirth. You know, um, I talked about that last week, that the word that is, it, it literally means, you know, kind of the suffering. Um, but the, the root of the word goes back to labor. You know, it's like, oh, that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Okay, all right. And you know something good is going to happen. Right. Yeah. It's a suffering that ends in life. Yeah, and joy. And yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we will be given an uncorrupted body and soul. Correct. Great gift. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think you could probably say, rightly, that your soul is already uncorrupted in the way that this talks mm -hmm. because it's already been declared righteous mm -hmm. and it's this wrestling mm -hmm. in, in the flesh mm -hmm. not that your flesh is evil but it's what anchors you to the earth right mm -hmm. and so as we live in this dichotomy of ourself you know we've died a new person has come to life in baptism mm -hmm. and we continue to wrestle and the part that we wrestle with, Paul calls that the flesh. And then in the spirit, you know, we know that we are forgiven. And you know, that's that's the uh, you know, the good I would because of what God has done in me. Oh, Look yes. at this. I don't. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not like you can separate the two either. You know, this this is one of the I. Sometimes when we talk about these things, you know, we. We start splitting apart the hairs, you know, and, and you actually can't, you know, you, I mean, we are soul and body. So, yeah, anyhow, um, this is um, this, this idea of uh, groaning within ourselves, you know, that we've received a promise that we have not received the, the, the final gift yet. Um, this is one of the reasons I like the, the, the name for the Lord's Supper that sometimes people use. They call it a foretaste of the feast to come. You know, beautiful images in, in the book of Isaiah of this rich feast uh, when the Lord comes. You know, talks about rich wines, aged wines, you know, you know, heavy meat. You know, any of you, uh, if you've ever had cholesterol issues, you know, the doctor's like, you need to eat more fish and lean proteins and, boy, you probably should be vegetarian. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Have you had that talk? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, but man, oh man, you know, that's not the kind of thing they're talking about when, when, when Jesus comes. It's the good stuff. And there's going to be you know, all the fat and the you know, running down the beard and good stuff, good stuff. Uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and it's just a foretaste of it. Christ gives you his self, his body and his blood. 
you know, and, and with, as he does that, he gives you forgiveness and he gives you life and he gives you salvation. And it's all pointing ahead to something bigger, something even, even greater that's still coming. Um, you know, and so we, we long for something better than this life in a fallen world. And God teaches us to pray about that too. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, seventh petition, deliver us from evil, right? Um, listen to how Luther explains that. It says, we pray in this petition in summary that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possession, reputation, and finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow, I like the old translation, veil of tears, to himself in heaven. Is God protecting us right now? Body and soul, possessions, reputation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're experiencing his blessings and his gifts all through this life, and thanks be to God. And yet, there's that one thing that's out there. And when the last hour comes, whether that's in a hospital bed, or in a car, or you know, however that last hour comes, that we would have a blessed end. Now, um, there's a, a phrase that I'm sometimes fond of saying that when I die, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandpa did, not screaming in fear like the passengers in his car. <laughs> um, when we think of a blessed end, we often think about, you know, that kind of dying in our sleep type of thing, you know, no suffering, that type of a thing. Um, that's not what he's talking about, though. A blessed end is an end that's died in faith. <clears throat> So um, I, think of, uh, I think of Wayne Koenig and visiting him in the hospital. And uh, um, Wayne was the pastor before me. And uh, uh, he had um, uh, it, like an interstitial lung disease. It's a fibrosis. And he's laying there and they have to have a mask to you know, pressurize in order for him to get air. And... Uh, I went and I visited him and I prayed with him and, uh, and I asked him, uh, a, 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 it's kind of a big question, it's a historic question. Um, Luther was asked this question before he died. Um, I said to him, Wayne, do you want to die in this faith that you have proclaimed throughout your ministry and throughout your life? And he starts kind of, because you can't talk and they take it off so that he can speak and he smiles a huge smile and just says yes I think that's a blessed end I've watched people die of interstitial lung disease I can think of a handful of other ways I'd prefer to die but that end confession of faith 
you know, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, he said that and then he passed. Um, but that's a blessed end. And there are others that come to mind when I think of that. That confession of faith, that hope that even though I die, yet shall I live. That I've received the first fruits of this gift, and boy, oh boy, I can't wait to receive the rest of it. <coughs> so we're eagerly awaiting this adoption. You know, and uh, I mean, in the book of Romans, haven't, haven't we received the adoption as sons? Didn't it, didn't it say that earlier? The, the answer is yes, I know this has been a long conversation. Um, so what is he talking about? You know, there's something that we haven't? I have a friend who um, he, he adopted uh, from uh, Europe, from Bulgaria. All the paperwork was done, you know, here in America at the consulate and all of that stuff. She was adopted before they went and got her. She was theirs before they went and got her. I think that that's the image here. We've been adopted. We're, we legally are God's children. We're just waiting for that day when he comes and takes us home. And I think that that's the image that's there. So when he talks about this, the redemption of, of the body, uh, in the way this is in the text, it, this is almost like a, uh, um, you, 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 have you ever um, like given a sentence and you end the sentence and then you tag something onto it to explain it, you know, what you mean? That, that's, that's what's happening here. If I were to, uh, if I were to um, punctuate this, well, you can see this up on, uh, where I have the, my translation at the top. Um, in ourselves eagerly awaiting adoption, then I've got the hyphen, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, in, in past times, they may have used a colon there or something like that, you know, to, to say this is an idea that's building on, uh, but it's kind of separate from uh, what went on before. It, it's, it's explaining beyond what you have there. And so uh, the word redemption, uh, it, it's a compound word uh, that means roughly a, a ransom from above. Ransom. Now, uh, when uh, when I was a kid, the uh, uh, local Kmart had a layaway program. You remember this? Mm -hmm. And if you laid something away, they took the box, they put it in the back, and you know, I, I think specifically of uh, my first bike. And my parents made, went in and they made payments on the bike, and then the last payment was like they would call it a redemption because then you finally actually got the thing that you've been paying for. And uh, to redeem something is to buy it back. It's to ransom something. And so the image that is really uh, rooted in this word redemption is the idea of being set free, but also that that being set free was done at a price. And that price was? Jesus' death, death on the cross. Jesus' Jesus death, death and, and, and his resurrection, yeah. So Exodus, right? The children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt and God comes and he redeems them. 
What was the redemption price? The last plague? The death of the firstborns? The death of the firstborn, don't lose the fact that Jesus is the firstborn of Mary. He's also called the firstborn over all creation. This is point this pointing ahead you know, to what, what Jesus would do. You know, slavery and freedom are hugely important images for sin and, and salvation. And so we've been ransomed. A price has been paid in order to save us. And yet our salvation is not, it's not complete until our bodies are freed from sin. You know, we continue to, to, to sin. We continue to, to wrestle and to struggle. And, and so I want to be you know, really clear here. You know, the way that, that Paul is teaching us about this, um, there is no thought of about it, like a spiritualized heaven here. There's no Philadelphia cream cheese floating on crowd, clouds here. <laughs> There's no playing harps like you know, the old cartoons, you know. Um, in the newspaper and such. There is a resurrection of the body. A physical body. And it, it, it's expected here that there's going to be this physical, longed-for, groaned-for resurrection. You know, we, we long to, you know, go to heaven, you know, to leave this veil of tears, to be with God in a place of bliss. But that isn't the end of the story. There's a new creation. And there's a new body that will be given to us. And we have the first fruits. Get it when you come and you receive the Lord's Supper. You get it when you come and you confess your sins and, you know, as a call and ordained servant of the word, I forgive you. All of those things. You've got the first fruits. They're at work in your life. They're giving you life. You, you actually have a down payment, a guarantee. The Holy Spirit that lives within you. All of this, you know, you, you, you have this, this first fruits type of experience, but we live in what, what we sometimes call a now-not-yet experience of our lives of faith. We have it all now, but we don't have it all now. Right? Not yet. It's coming, but because God's the one who's promised it, it's as good as done. It's yours. Nothing is going to stop it. Nothing is going to change it. This is one of the things I love about um, in the catechism, the explanations of the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, you know, those first petitions, uh, the first three petitions. So, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God's name is holy in and of itself. Like, oh yeah, there's nothing I do to make God's name holy. Um, and then, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. God's kingdom comes even without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it would come among us also. For our permission. Exactly. Yeah. And then thy will be done. God's will is certainly done without our prayer. 
or our permission. But we pray in this petition that he would break and hinder every evil plan of the devil of the world and our own sinful nature that would keep us from hallowing his name and his kingdom from coming. You know, it's just a sense of you've been given it. There's nothing that's going to stop it. And yet we long for kind of the next step and it's coming. So because it's God that's at work, nothing is going to hinder it. And, and, and it's as certain as having it. And we do have the Holy Spirit as a down payment. And when did you get that Holy Spirit? Baptism. When you were baptized? baptized. Or when you... When you heard the word and believed. It's, you know, not just when you get baptized. I mean, you receive the baptism. You receive the Holy Spirit whenever, um, when, when a person is baptized, they receive the Holy Spirit. But you cannot have faith without the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes it comes through the hearing of the word that brings us to faith. We got the first fruit and can't wait to get the rest. Exactly. Um, Jesus has paid the price in full. Uh, you, you remember, um, there are two times that in the uh, Gospels it records things that Jesus says in the original languages uh, that they bring that over into the English. Um, one of them is Eli Eli Lama Sabachthani, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the other, actually, no, they translate it, is it is finished, right? And that word, it is finished, is one word in Greek. It's the word tetelestai, which is a financial term, which means paid in full. The whole thing's paid. It's done. Just waiting to be picked up. And yet we still sin and we need forgiveness. Kind of like that bike at K-Bart sitting there waiting for you to pick it up after it's been paid for. Yeah. Yeah. Mom was there earlier, you know, with the, uh, with the sedan and uh -huh. paid the, you know, dad needs to come later with the pickup truck after work. Mm -hmm. You know. I was picturing it more like we're kind of like Ikea goods. <laughs> we're in parts and being put together. <laughs> <laughs> Paid full, but not quite built yet. That could have been the bike as well. <laughs> Some assembly required. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to see that God's salvation is very physical. You know, I think that even as Christians who, who, who seek to be very faithful to the word, that we often get wrapped up in the spiritual side of the faith. Now, did I just say that the spiritual side of the faith doesn't matter? No, no. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, it's hugely important. Um, I think that sometimes you know, people get this reversed the other way, that they're so focused on the physical that they lose sight of the spiritual. But I also think that there's a really heavy temptation to focus on the spiritual, um, or the physical, whatever I was saying, uh, to not think about the physical side, to focus on the spiritual at the expense of the physical. We are physical beings who are awaiting a physical resurrection. We're spiritual as well. And, and those things, you know, you really can't 
actually tease them apart. We do this in our minds. You know, this this is kind of science. Anything that you study, you know, you, you like try to take that one part out. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes you lose sight that it's it's part of a whole system. You know, and that it's the system that works completely together. Um, and, and so when 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 Christians get really wrapped up in the uh, in the spiritual side, sometimes they follow a path that's called mysticism. And uh, there are elements of mysticism that I think are absolutely fine, um, especially when when compared to like how the world sometimes thinks about God. It, you know that there's like this spiritual experience, and you know and, and, okay, that might seem kind of foreign or strange. That happens. Um, where mysticism really goes wrong is that it tends to want like a direct revelation from God or some kind of a direct experience of God. So if you go way back in, in the history of the church, um, uh, there was this guy uh, by the name of Guigo, uh, which I just think is a hilarious name, Guigo. Um, but uh, my apologies to anybody out there named Guigo. <laughs> You know, no offense, uh, but uh, this is a guy who wrote in the 1100s, I want to say, um, and monasticism has already been established, but he is the one who kind of writes about what are we trying to accomplish here, and he writes this little booklet, it's called The, the Ladder of Monks, and it's all about how do you ascend through your habits to get close to God. We wouldn't think that way at all anymore, would we? Oh, yeah. That by doing our devotions and you know making sure that we do all the right things, that we get close to God. <clears throat> now, some of these habits are actually very good habits. You know, meditation, prayer, reading, contemplation. But the way that, that Guigo puts this together, it you know, it's you do this and then you come up to this and then you come up to this and then the next thing you know, you're in this like state of bliss, which means that you're united with God, you know, and this is like this direct connection. Um, it, this will often look like a, a blending of, of Eastern religion and the Christian faith. One of the really big proponents out there is a guy by the name of Richard Rohr. He comes at this from the, uh, the Catholic uh, side of things. Um, uh, and... Uh, Roar has some things that are valuable to say, um, but at the same time, goes too far. Uh, another guy that comes out of our tradition is a guy named Jeff Mallinson, who's a professor out in uh, Irvine. He's kind of lost track of some things. And, uh, you know, and I, I want to mention that specifically because he's somebody that I have um, spoken highly of in the past. You know, so if you're looking at his current stuff, um, be careful. Um, because uh, you know he 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 has this mysticism that's involved in it that you know it becomes separated from the word and it becomes you know separated from the way that God has promised to uh, to deal with us. God works in the physical to deliver spiritual blessings. That's 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 the model that. That he follows. So, you know, think about the incarnation. 
I mentioned Christmas earlier, right? Christmas is a great time of year. It's coming. Jesus comes as a spirit. The ghost of Christmas past, present, future. Mm -hmm. Comes in the flesh. In the flesh. Mm -hmm. He comes in the flesh in order to be one of us, to experience this life and this world, in, in order to <clears throat> carry what flesh carries, which is it, sin. Is it that he, he, he did that, or uh, where's my brain gone? Um, or is it that we then could relate better to him? He didn't need to. He, didn't, he knew what a human was. He created us. Yeah. Um, and stuff, so he didn't need to be here to know what it's like. Fair. Um, but we needed to know us. But he came to... Our relationship with him. Yeah, he came to stand in our place. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, to bear our sin. He, he need, you know, so he took and, on and flesh. We need, yeah, we needed to, we needed to see that, see that. Um, that he was that, in the flesh. We, we, well, I mean, I haven't, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that with my eyes, you know, I, if you think I, what I mean. Right. But, but we, we needed him to come in the flesh in order to do what only flesh can do. Right. You know, to, I'm talking about as, as people, we've seen him. I mean, yeah. not, we haven't necessarily, you know, but people have seen him. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, but so, people see angels. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but, they, and, but they, angels aren't human, right. aren't people. Right. And we saw him as a person. Because he is yes, right. a person. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, so he he came to be one of us. It wasn't that, you know, he needed to understand, like, yeah. you know, right. figure That's out what, what our deal was. Exactly. So That's, I I, I, I wasn't point. as clear as I should have been yeah. when I said that, that earlier. Is my point. Yeah. Um but uh um he came in order to be one of us, all of humanity boiled down to one person. Yeah, and he did that in order that, um, as it says in Second Corinthians five, that because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, uh, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he becomes our sin. He takes that sin into his flesh, and he takes it to the cross. And as he's nailed there, there's a sense that he nails our sin to the cross. And, and as it says in Colossians, leaves it there as a public spectacle, just utterly defeating it. You know, uh, Jesus on the cross is like um, Muhammad Ali standing over um, whomever that was. Yeah. Uh, Sonny uh, Liston? Liston, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so the incarnation, you know, we get really excited about Christmas, but it's really the first step toward crucifixion. You know, where, where he will bear our sins on the cross. You know, and then the this next step is obviously resurrection. You know, he breaks the bands of death for us that we could follow through the grave. Um there is a, a beautiful song um, by Michael Card. I like a lot of Michael Card's stuff. I, I find him to be very, very thoughtful and, and beautiful. You know, the, 
the poetry. Um, so if you were at the Advent services this past uh, Advent season, um, I used a lot of his stuff, even into Christmas. Um, you know, it, it's really beautiful music. And um, beautiful poetry, I encourage you to read that. Um, but if you go on to the, uh, my blog, there will be a, a link that you can just click and you can uh, listen to a song, listen to this song. Um, but, you know, a couple things that really uh, jumped to me, you know, uh, in the refrain he says, he spoke the incarnation and so was born the son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. Spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born the baby who would die to make it mine. Um, and then there's a, a bridge right before the end. And so the light became alive and manna became man. Eternity stepped into time so we could understand. And what we understand is that God has come in human flesh. God works in physical things. I mean, think about the sacraments. You know, we've got baptism and the Lord's Supper. In baptism, God connects and combines his word with water in order to deliver forgiveness and salvation. In the Lord's Supper, there's bread and there's wine. These are not special elements. You know, every culture has bread. Almost every culture has wine. If the grapes grow there, they have wine. And these are things that are normal and at hand, and God takes them, and by connecting his word to them, he delivers Jesus, his body and his blood. He delivers forgiveness of sins and life. You know, think about the church. This This is a physical gathering. You know, over the last couple of years, some of this has been kind of, you know, put out into the ether. You know, and people, you know, continue to attend church online. And, and for some people, that's a good thing. For other people, I'm not, I'm not so convinced. Um, there, there's this important aspect about being physically present. This isn't just spiritual. You know, I've talked about this word uh, koinonia in the past. Uh, koinonia is roughly translated fellowship, but it has this sense to it that says that we actually belong to each other. Catch that. Not belong with each other, but belong to each other. Physical connection. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's important. Sometimes we seem to think that we do these things because God needs it. And it's not. He gives it to us because right. we need it. Right. He's doing all these things for us so that we can know and we can see and we can hear and we can understand. But the way that he's doing it, you know, we want to leave it kind of out here airy-fairy so then it doesn't impact, you know, my day-to-day life. But it, it does. He comes to us in the physical and in the, mm-hmm. the in, you know, in what people call the real world. <clears throat> you know, this, Which isn't really. This penultimate existence that, that we are in. And... Um, you know, and, and so, you know, our lives, our vocations become places that our, our faith is, is lived out. Mm-hmm. You know, God doesn't need us to serve him, but do you know who does? Your neighbor. We need it. 
and we need it ourselves. Anything we do for somebody else benefits us. It's a blessing and to God us as well. says, you do that for them, and he doesn't say, and in that doing, you will also be doing something for yourself. Yeah. So, you know, when Luther came around, at that time, uh, monasticism and the priesthood were, were held up really, really high. And if you wanted to be right with God, those are the kinds of things you needed to do. You needed to be a priest or a monk or a nun or something like that. Um, and uh, Luther comes around and he says, no, it's, it's this life in the dirt. It's the peasants living by faith and facing each day and receiving their daily bread. And, you know, in, in fact, at one point he says, you know, that the, the mother changing the baby's diaper is more holy work than all the priests in Rome. My mother did a lot of holy work. She had yeah. six kids. My, my wife did a lot of holy work. Too. <laughs> and so um, this, is, this is a very earthy faith. Mm -hmm. you know, and that means that you know, we're dealing with people. And that does mean that, yeah, we're thinking about issues like justice and compassion and you know, all of those things because they deal with people. You know, and we recognize that the brokenness that's in this world is because we still live in the sin that we groan to be completely freed from. And we long for that last day. Because mm -hmm. there are so many things I don't want to do and I do them anyhow. And the idea that I will get to the point where I won't do it yep. anymore. Yep. Yep. So. Um, the verse for, uh, for next week, uh, after I get through the series that uh, we're doing here for August on, uh, on worship, um, you will notice that if you follow these verses, that it's almost always directly connected to the theme of the sermon. Um, but uh, uh, every once in a while, I think it is good to, uh, to diverge uh, from the, uh, the, the readings for the, the appointed readings in terms of the themes of the messages and stuff like that. But I always like to come back to those appointed readings. But sometimes it's good to do a little bit of teaching on some other topics too. And so hopefully uh, the stuff that we're doing on, that I'm doing on Lutheran worship across August is gonna be something that's gonna help you uh, with your, your worship experience. But uh, after we're done, you'll notice that these verses are very much you know, connected to the, the sermons themselves. So. Uh, any comments or questions before I close this up with prayer? Yeah, he's pulled the incarnation and then so was so was born the son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. Spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born the baby who died to make it right. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Complete. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, the opportunity to... Uh, look at your word and to think about you know all these implications that are connected to it i pray lord that you would lead us and bless us and guide us and that you would help us as we we groan for that last day to do so with hope remembering that the groaning uh, ends uh, with life in the resurrection and pray these things in jesus name amen thanks everybody